And hey everybody, welcome to another uh, Brewster podcast. Um, it's Ted Schmidt again, GM of the California Crusaders, because, you know, I'm always here. And this time I have someone else who's always podcasting with me. It's uh, And Ron Collins of Yellow Springs is here. And hi, Ron. Thanks for... Howdy. And Stephen Lane, um, who did the other free agent podcast with me earlier today, is also back to discuss... Hi, Stephen. Um, Hello, everyone. Is back to discuss the Frick League free agent signing. So we're going to try to make this a little bit different, just to see if we can find a format that's um the other one gets a little listy because i'm just that way and everything turns into lists so uh i'm gonna let ron kind of drive on this one and see if we end up with something a little bit different and maybe it's better maybe it's worse maybe it's just different and that's good too so um instead of going we're trying i think instead of going like player by player to kind of look at them as a group and and see how teams did so um yeah well go ahead We'll see what happens. If I'm driving, it will definitely be different, but I'm not sure that that's what everyone really wants. <laughs> oh, it's it's fine. I think it's fine. Um, the uh, yeah, we want to start with the Heartland. We can start with the Heartland. Is that uh, the one thing I always like to ask in our it, right at the beginning of these is, um, did you have any kind of overarching thoughts about free agency when we talked about the one this morning? Stephen kind of mentioned, and I did. It was a big class. It was a good class. I think if you needed like an awesome first baseman or center fielder. It wasn't, but like I think this is our second good free agency class in a row, and that's pretty encouraging. I don't know if you had any other any other thoughts about it. Yeah, what were your thoughts, Stephen? And I'll riff off of both of them. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a I thought it was a good class, um, even though we lost a couple of um, you know top guys to extensions right before. Um, I thought there was a lot of pitching available. Um, I thought there was some good infield available. Uh, a lot of young guys. I think we're which we haven't seen. I don't think I mentioned this on the other podcast, actually. Um, but with the development speed we have in this league, I've always kind of wondered, like, where are all the young guys um, in free agency? And I think we saw that this year. I think we had a number of 26, 28-year-olds come in in free agency, which uh, I think makes for a, a really good class. Yeah. No, I think I, I did all of that. I think at the end of the day, um, this was... Uh, for me, this was a really uh, bad season for me to be blocked personally during the early stages of free agency. I came, came in the last piece. Uh, my pick on, or kind of point on it is uh, I heard some folks earlier on talking about uh, how they felt like this was uh, you know pretty strong at the top end with a couple of guys, uh, not a lot in the kind of B level and a lot of C level. I thought there was a lot of B level. I thought this was really a useful um a useful free agency process. And the other thing that I was really excited about when I sat down to start looking at this, uh, especially for this podcast, because uh, I try to do this every year, but with the podcast, I got the opportunity to do it in more detail, <laughs> is uh, I was really quite impressed with the uh, engagement from all of the teams when it comes down to it. Very few teams left money on the table. Um, so it led to a more efficient market and some uh, intriguing uh, collections, at least looking at the Frick League. I have not actually spent a lot of time looking at every team in the Johnson and what they spent and what they left on the table. Um, I think that you know, I think that carries over to the Johnson pretty well also. I, I, I agree with you. I, I, it, was, it was nice to see you know, kind of market forces and demand driving contracts rather than um, – us waiting around for, you know, I don't know. I, I felt like there was much more jumping in on people and, and getting them right away and more teams getting involved. So that that's nice. Yeah, and it, it kind of goes, um, you know, the out-of-the-park 
conversations that we have, the gaming, the game, the gamey parts of the conversation around what free agents are asking and, you know, what they get in the end is still sometimes a little bit infuriating, um, mostly, in my opinion, by the way that the messages get sent to the general managers, right? When a guy asks for $30 million a year rather than just saying, hey, dude, blow me your way or I'm going to free agency. Exactly. <laughs> Especially when some of them actually yeah. do say, I'm going to free agency. Just have the other one say that. That's fine. You know? yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, so, but... You know, I can play both sides of that coin. At the end of the day, the way that the dynamic is working, uh, and I'm really interested, Ted, the the work that you're doing, I mean it sincerely, the work that you've been doing on this uh, opt-out study is absolutely enlightening and brilliant. Um, I'm very interested to see um, how, uh, when you, when we compile them all up, uh, how many players actually did themselves well by opting in or out, right, um, when it comes down to it. Because it doesn't matter what we think is going to happen at the front end. That's interesting to characterize our league. Um, but I look at some of the deals that are being made, and I go, wow, they actually made – this is actually working. Yeah, I, I think does – Does OTP know us better than we do? <laughs> right, and I think what we're going to find out, as you and I may have discussed a little bit before, is it, they, they did better than – as a group, I think we're going to find out that we were probably a little pessimistic, and they did better than we thought they would. Um, and I will say right. doing that study already changed the way I offer contracts. So um, it'll be interesting to see what your guys' thoughts are. And we're going to run into that when we get to – to my deal, but what, Get to some what of these. your thoughts are on? All right, well, let's let's uh, yeah, let's go ahead and and dig into um, the actual signings inside the Frick League. We have three Frick general managers here, um, so clearly this is a highly intelligent group. Um, let's talk about the Heartland, and let's start with uh, Des Moines, who I think signed uh, five guys by my records: Sergio Franco, a twenty-eight-year-old starting pitcher who got, uh, what, basically a four-year deal with a player option at the end of it for $42 million. Uh, my own George Rodriguez, Jorge Rodriguez, is it George or Jorge? Uh, um, sure. Whichever. Yes. Uh, six years, counting the two team options he got at the end with an opt-out. Um, Gerardo Guzman, uh, Carp, second baseman, uh, 32-year second baseman. Uh, Aaron Campbell, a 20-year-old relief pitcher that came out of uh, was it, was that, uh, he was a Throckville first, right? Um, anyway, got a three-year contract for $10 million. Uh, and then Miguel Macias, 35-year-old relief pitcher, two years at $6.7 million all total. Um, so what are your guys' thoughts about Des Moines? and what Ed has Steve, been able to accomplish. Steven, you want to go first, or you want me to, to jump at it? Um, go ahead. So I, I thought Des Moines needed some front-end starting pitching help. I thought they needed some relief help. Um, I thought they needed some bats. Um, you know, they need first base, DH, they need outfield. Those things weren't all there. They weren't all easy to get. Overall, I like this group. I like these players. Um, I, I think Gerardo Guzman's an underrated guy um, throughout his career. Um... I I like I didn't when I first saw it because it was what he was asking for and I thought his asking prices were high and it was going back to I think I was biased by the whole I thought he shouldn't have opted out discussion but I I thinking about it more I like Jorge Rodriguez um 
he may he can probably play some weak outfield right now, and he's just an on-base machine. Like he's incredible at it, and that can play at DH if he has to move there, especially for that price. Um, it's it's not cheap, but I think it's good. Um, Franco, I think is a good starter. He doesn't always look good. He looks warty, but I think he's a solid starter. I think these are all. I like the players. My my impression is every one of these deals is just a little high. Is kind of what I thought. Like, um, the, the kind of like on the more expensive guys, maybe a mil, close to a million, and on the relievers, maybe half a million. You know, five hundred k too high. Um, which isn't horrible, but in in total, you know, you add all that up, that's one more player, right? So, I, but it, it's not egregious and it's not horrible. And I, I think I like I like these signings for Ed. Now I've said that for a few years now for Ed, um, and it's just not worked out for him. So maybe I don't know a thing. Um, <laughs> Where are you at, Stephen? What are your thoughts yeah, on Dumont? I, uh, I think he's. I think Ted is right. They all kind of feel like a little bit of overpays, but. Like we talked on the Johnson League podcast, you, you know, you got to go after your guys. And if that means paying a little extra, then that's what it costs. And, you know, the, the nature of free agency is that to get the guys that you want, you're going to have to pay for it. So, you know, there's no deal here that looks bad. Um, Guzman is is great. I think that's a, a you know, a great second baseman. And, uh, you know, I, I think overall it's a job well done here. The, the, yeah, I would I would uh, mimic all of those or or ditto all of those, especially given the uh, durations that Ed has has uh, placed. I, I think also that I agree that Franco is probably a little on the higher end than Ed would have liked. Um, Rodriguez, I think, is actually well priced. The concern I have with Rodriguez is just how uh, that fourth year at ten million dollars is. Right. Um, is uh, a little bit of a red flag, but I mean, you're talking about a free agent class that has really only one year, one red flag <laughs> when it comes right down to it. I love uh, Guzman. I actually wanted to acquire Guzman. I was looking for a left-handed hitting second baseman myself, and so I was kind of pissed when I didn't, uh, when Ed beat me out for that, uh, for him. Uh, I ended up, uh, as we'll get to mine, settling for Brian Sullivan, um, um, who is nowhere near the player that Charter Guzman is, as far as I'm concerned. When, when can we um, trade? Not to interrupt. So I'll, I'll wait till you're done. I'm just interrupting, but I'll wait. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, and I think Macias and Campbell are probably a little bit uh, pricey, but Ed needed bullpen guys really bad. And those are uh, Macias on a two-year deal is not uh, going to kill him. And Campbell could be actually worth more than that before it's all said and done. It just depends on what happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the question I was going to ask you about Guzman, uh, one, when can we trade recently signed free agents? Is that still like June or July or whatever that we can't trade them until then? Um, oh, you're going to put me on the spot. I don't know, Stephen, when can we trade these guys? I think it's June, but I'll look up the Constitution right now just so we have a final answer for the listeners. While you ask, while you do that, the reason I ask is I don't know exactly what Ed's going to do with Guzman. Um, like... He has Don Draper at third. He has Bill Hardy at short, and I don't think Guzman's really a shortstop anymore. Not that Bill Hardy's amazing. Um, no. And he has Alan Williamson, who was a throw-in in a trade with San Fernando, but has bumped like crazy. And I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of difference in value between Guzman and Alan Williamson. I, I really like Alan Williamson, so I, I'm not... 
the reason I brought it up, Ron, is you might be able to trade for Guzman later. Um, there you go. Um, he's definitely on my screen, uh, on my radar screen. Uh, the idea of a Goose, um, um, Williamson as a right-handed hitting uh, second baseman, if I remember right, I don't have it in front of me. Right. Uh, Guzman's big value is that left-handed bat in the infield. Yep. Um, so, uh, and he does get a little pricey at, at uh, his 2040 season at $11 million, but he'd be 34. He's probably fine. You know, I mean, he's a tradable piece. There's, there's, there's a lot of value here. The other thing about Des Moines is they have three or four really young players, so they can afford to overpay just a little bit. Yep. Uh, they've got their catcher, Hale, is now really ready. The uh, uh, young Chris White center fielder, if I remember right, is almost growing into some of his, his ratings. He was rushed too early, but he was already on a major league contract. And if Long Chamberlain actually does anything... Um, you know, I mean, they've got a couple of young players they can absorb the finances, which I think is a is a key element when it comes to uh, yeah, I, uh, to looking at when you overpay free agents. I, I agree, and, and honestly, Ed's looking pretty good. Like he may, you know, you, you kind of felt bad for him in the way that uh, he didn't manage to get really. He kind of had some bad luck in the Areola and Moreland years, and. Um, I, I still think he maybe held on to him yeah. a little bit too long, but I was my fear was that as that went bad, which it unfortunately did, that he would be stuck in a rut forever, and he might turn this thing around pretty quickly if he can figure out how to get some starting pitching. Um, he's got the, uh, an offensive core in place, and these are good signings. So I and yeah, and he's and, and he's got some fair pitchers. Right. Um, he, you know, Roth, Lothbrok's uh, fade has not helped him. No, that's, that far yeah, that's pretty but that, you mentioned his free agency class the last year or two. He had a couple of guys last year that did not pan out the way that they that you would hope them to. No, like Gonzaga, but, uh, unfortunately. Like, I think that yeah. would have been better. And Yeah. yeah. Um, at the end of the day, I graded uh, uh, personally. I've given... When I sat down and looked at these uh, classes, I agreed. Uh, first off, I gave them the ABC grades, and then I went and I said, "Heck, we're on we're on the eighty twenty scale." So I graded them on the eighty twenty scale too. <laughs> so I graded I graded uh, um, Des Moines a, a B plus and a fifty five to sixty on the scale. That's fine. I you know I didn't do grades, so I'll stick with yours. I did grades for half of the Johnson League, and then like it was like, "Hey, I really did pretty good this year," and I just stopped doing them. So. <laughs> yeah. How would you think about uh, Des Moines overall, Stephen? Yeah, I think uh, I think fifty-five uh, is pretty good. So we've there you just go. given Ed his fiftieth uh, consecutive kiss of death. That's pretty much what just happened. <laughs> <There> <laughs> or Ed. Let's talk about um, right. as we um, just just quick before we move on to Madison oh, the, uh, from yeah. the Constitution. Free agents signed to off-season major league contracts may not be traded until June first. Okay, there you go. Cool. Thanks. So Guzman Madison. becomes a Guzman becomes a nine on June second. How's that? Uh, let's see. Chris, I think uh, picked up Enrique Gomez, uh, essentially a three-year deal with uh, player and team option. So twelve uh, twelve point five million a year. Only the first year, well, two years if the player option is guaranteed. Um, and Ramat Subadio, uh, relief pitcher, 26-year-old relief pitcher for $1.1 million for essentially three seasons. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, how you view what Madison did? Let's start with Steven this time. Um, I think uh, I think 
the Gomez deal is great. I think that's right about perfect for for his age and, and what he's, you know, his performance. Um, he was one of the guys that I was going after in that first, uh, first free agent sim. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, with the team option for, for the third year, you're, you're minimizing your risk and, uh, you know, he's not really, you know, he's not really showing too much of a sign of, of being ready to fall apart. So I think you can, you know, he's a good bet for, for next year. Um, and, uh, the reliever, um, you know, I, obviously this is not my type of pitcher with a low movement, but, uh, um, you know, it's a good contract and, and he'll probably do just fine in Madison. Um, uh, That's I don't have a whole lot to add. Um, I was, I, I agree with, I echo the thoughts on the, on the Gomez deal. I thought he was a big risk for a risky contract and to get him at a, you know, a, a fair rate without a whole lot of risk. I don't love that player option next year, but heck he might opt out. Um, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's a great contract. Now I'm, I'm sad that it's not as not riskier because, um, as Fred and I have talked many times, it will always be the eternal competition between Gomez and Ricardo Diaz, and Gomez is probably going to pass him in wins this year, and that makes me sad. And Gomez's longevity has just been incredible. Um, so, oh well. But no, I, I think it's a great deal. Yeah. Um, and then Subadayo, again, I, I, you know, I don't, I have beaten up uh, Chris about low motion pitchers so many times, so unfairly, <laughs> and I just can't get excited about guys like him. Um, but it's 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 the deal's fine. Like it's if he if he gives them anything for that price, it's a good deal. And um, I I actually kind of wonder because I thought Chris really needed to find some starters. I think he lost his kind of veteran. You know, I called it a Tyler Simmons light kind of group, just kind of old rickety lefties um, that got him through a lot of games last year. <laughs> and he lost a bunch of them. And I kind of wonder. If he might be thinking about starting Subadayo, which I don't know if that'll work. Um, yeah, it's definitely an interesting idea. Um, the you know you look at Subadayo, um, um, you know his he's got two years now of being sub replacement level, and so I agree that the deal is not bad, except for the fact that I can get sub replacement level for half that price. Um, and so that's an interesting question. What will happen? Uh, you know, the, the future is, is yet to be seen. <laughs> um, the uh, Gomez deal to me is, is interesting. I really like the first year of it. I think the 12.5 million player option, I mean, he's 38. You just never know. He's can still, he still knows how to pitch. He's got the eight movement, eight control last I looked. Um, but his stuff has pretty much fallen off the table. Um, the it, it, the second year is a little risky for for my personal tastes, but as you mentioned, um, Chris needs people to pitch, and pitching while there were some pitchers out there, pitching is still really hard to find and really expensive. As I continue to find, yeah, uh, personally, no, I, I, I agree with you. The, the one the biggest scare about Enrique Gomez, and this is just more of a I think a lot of people know this, but some might not. Um, sinker ballers are really dangerous for lumping. Because um, as their velocity goes, there's when they're sink, when they're sinker lumps, they're movement lumps, and it's actually kind of impressive that Gomez has lost so much velocity and lost a bunch and lost I think two points on his sinker now 
and his movement right. hasn't budged. But that's that's yeah. the scariest thing. Um, well, that just means that his sinker was so high to begin right. with, right? And, it was, it and his movement was incredible. Um, so, right. do you? Sorry, do you think the fork ball helps with that at all? As they are similar pitches, or I, I have yes. no clue. Okay, we'll go with Ron's answer. I, yes. I believe they do. Um, I'm, I'm fairly uh, comfortable with the statement that a fork ball will help that. Okay. So that probably plays well. Uh, the other thing to think about here is that uh, Chris spent up to 107 million, and like uh, with Des Moines, uh, one of Ed's difficulties is his budget is down so low, right? He's got an 87 million dollar budget, or at least before the January change, right. had an 87 million dollar budget. And Ed did fantastic in my mind all the way up to uh, he spent up to 83 million dollar payroll. Um, Chris got his payroll up to 107, so he still has a couple million left on the salary cap. Uh, the ultimate question is, could he have gotten, uh, if you said he's got $15 million to spend, could he have spent it more uh, effectively? And I think the answer to that is probably no. I think he did a, a pretty good job with what uh, what he had left to spend. Yeah, I think the, the um, only thing he could have done is maybe maybe uh, forego Subodayo's $1 million and you go get a $3 million, you put $3 million on one of those relievers that went for that price, right. like Macias maybe. Is that better? I don't, I don't right. know. The the back to yeah, the Subodayo starting comment. I forgot that Chris mentioned that I don't. I didn't notice it um, while he was doing it, but he kind of did like a half cyclone last year. You know, just kind of bullpen on a lot of days, mm-hmm. and Subodayo right. probably is a decent fit for that. Um, so I I don't know. Um, he has been again below replacement level, so I. Yeah, almost anybody can be used properly right. and, and improve their war rates right before it's all said and done. So at the end of the day, I, I personally, I kind of graded uh, Madison out as a as a kind of C minus 45, uh, mostly because I worry about Gomez's second year. Um, but that's uh, maybe I've kind of personally downgraded them a little bit on that. What are your guys' thoughts on big picture for Madison? I'll give him a 50. Yeah, I was more 50. I'm not as worried about that second year, but I might have talked myself out of being worried. It might be because, like, it might not be that I'm not as worried about that second year. It's that I was convinced he was going to get, like, a five-year deal with, like, all of him having <laughs> with him having the control over the whole thing and just ruining someone's, you know, run. So I'm, I'm uh, so pleasantly go. surprised by how, how relatively low risk that deal is from what I thought it would be. But, um, I'm not that worried about yeah. the second year. Well, and actually, overall, I think you see uh, an awful lot of three and four and two year deals in this class. So I think our GMs are are um, using some caution there too. So Chris is always a uh, Chris is a fantastic GM before it's all said and done, and I, I love watching him work. Uh, let's talk about uh, Justin in Omaha, who picked up three guys. In Pavel Bure Jr., or is it Burr? I call him Bure. Uh, Mashahiko Nemoto at a million dollar one year contract. Bure's contract was essentially three years, including a team option, a uh, fairly pricey one. Uh, and Max Hatcher uh, was at Jacksonville's uh, uh, all glove shortstop uh, for 800K for one year. And it turns out he's actually got a $2.2 million arbitration year at the end of that. <laughs> um, Thoughts on that one, Ted? We'll go to you first on on Omaha's package. Kind of meh. Like it's hard to. They, I don't think these guys are going to move the needle much, and I don't. It's not that I think they're bad or he could have done better. Omaha didn't have a lot of money. Um, 
And, you know, I thought they... Their starting pitching has so many injuries that um, I would be looking to remodel that with another front-end starter, but they weren't going to do that in free agency. Um, I thought they needed relief depth. Bure could help there, but I just don't like him. Like, I just think he's underperformed. i got to look at his stats a little bit more here while we're talking. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, he's not my favorite. But again, that contract is, is fine. Um, I don't care about yep. Masahiko Nomoto at all. Um, I don't know if I... I think I looked at him, and I'm pretty sure I'm right to not care about him, but that's fine. The, the Hatcher one, um, I actually kind of like. Uh, you know, like, he's fine. There's nothing wrong with Max Hatcher. When you have an offense like... Uh, Omaha's, which does have flaws, but you can you can put a Max Hatcher in it short, and that's there's that's just fine. Um, it, but it's hard to get excited about this group because they didn't have money to spend, so they couldn't spend a lot of money, so they didn't get a lot of impact. So yeah, okay, it's kind of yeah. Stephen, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, you know I like the Hatcher signing. Um, you know that's a good that's a good player to have for under a million, um, and still get what. Um, at, you know, one more year of arbitration on him. Um, the relievers are, you know, are fine. Um, but, uh, you know, like Ted said, it, I don't think that it's anything that's going to move the needle. Um, Pavel is um, kind of an up and down guy. You know, I had him last year for, for a little while. I, you know, I had high hopes for him. But, uh, you know, he's kind of, throughout his career, he's kind of just been up and down. So, you know, who knows what you're going to get out of him. Yeah, I think... Um the interesting thing about the Bure deal to me is I, I think he's a fine, he, he's a good enough pitcher. I mean, um, you know, look at his war over the last three years and he's going to be slightly above replacement. And for that kind of dollar figure, that's not horrible. Uh, the interesting thing there is he almost certainly is not going to take that team option. And so it effectively bumps up his third or second year salary. Um, that contract is structured with a 1.4 million and opt out. And I'm sure that Justin is interested in Pablo Bure opting out. <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah. if he doesn't, then he pays him $2 million the next year. And then almost certainly he's going to have to buy him out, buy out that um, uh, $5 million third year team option. So the, effectively that makes the 2039 uh, salary, what $3.4 million yeah. when you add in the buyout. So that yeah. becomes a little pricey. But like Ted said, uh, Justin really didn't have any money. You know, he had, he had five or six million dollars to spend. Uh, he he probably could have gotten more um, for that five million dollars. But I do like Hatcher, and Hatcher is a um, Nomoto is what a, if I remember right, he's got a he's essentially a no stuff, no control, high movement guy. So maybe you get a few innings out of him. I don't know. Uh, but I don't think he's even been in the majors this, in his career. So. Uh, total blank slate, as far as I can tell. That is true. That's interesting. I I didn't notice that, but um, yeah, he he was a uh, no experience. But uh, you know, five eight five versus righties, it's not it's not great. But yeah, he can throw some innings if he's used properly. Well, yeah, the concept of him providing value, some if used right, isn't isn't foreign to me. You know, is is I've done a bunch <laughs> of these now. I think. Randy noted this morning, I think this is the fifth year we've done this, um, you notice patterns on GMs, and the huge team option at the end that you never intend to pick up is a Justin uh, Niles special. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, just like uh, sure. Steven and I are the large, although Stevens are a little bigger than mine sometimes, but 
the large bonus salaries that have like no criteria to meet them. You know, two plate appearances, two million dollars. Um, right. Those are that's that's me and Steven. But Justin Niles is the uh, team options I never intend to pick up. Um, so. <laughs> Right, and in the old days, those were uh, a little more uh, a little more directly useful. In these days, when you do that, it effectively bumps up that second year or the year before's salaries. Right. Uh, but you pay it out of your budget rather than out of your salary cap, right. which is uh, useful. Right before it's all said and done, still. But, and since uh, Omaha is now a high budget uh, team, that's a, a useful uh, a useful process. But the games, the games. Um, I graded. Oh, nice. Okay, I graded Omaha out as a forty, mostly because they didn't have much to <laughs> much to get. So, um, where where would you guys fit them on the twenty eighty scale? Got reaction? Oh, yeah, I think that's fine. Like, just kind of. I'll give them a fifty because I don't want to penalize for not having money to spend, and I I do really like the uh, the Lopez Lopez or Hatcher. who was Hatcher. it? Yeah, Hatcher. Yeah, I, and I do like Hatcher, so. I, I could go with either That's one of those grades. I just, you know, when it's all said and done, this won't matter much is the real answer. So, yeah. Yeah. Alrighty, let's go to the next team in the Heartland, which is Twin Cities. It has one player, Steve Russell, 39-year-old relief pitcher at $1.75 million. So, See if we can spend 15 minutes talking about Steve Russell. Right, this is kind of second first, same as the first, <laughs> right? Like, they didn't have a lot of money, and uh, they added a reliever. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's a fair price for Steven Russell. I, I think he actually has, uh, um, at times, been pretty good, um, including including last year. Uh, you know, uh, He's not the most exciting guy in the world, but um, I think they... With the small amount of money they had to spend, they made their team better in an area of need. So, okay. That's, that's all I have to say about Steve Russell. Yeah, that's fine. It's a good price. He's 39, but his ratings are intact, and uh, he's a good clubhouse guy. So, you know, I'll take that for a mil and three quarters. Yeah, and roughly, you know, he's about a 0.5 to 1 war kind of guy, and you figure... At worst case, you spend two to three war, three million for a war. Uh, you get one point seven five one year contract. I mean, how can you go wrong, right? right? Well, and and here's here's another thing. He pitched sixty two innings last year, one point four war. You know, if you work him and he does well, you know, maybe he gets you up to a, a compensation. You know, type type A, maybe even in type B, if you really give him a lot of innings, and you know, there's a draft pick next year right. which is probably worth um you know it could be worth more than 1.75 million itself so oh yeah that would be like hitting uh, i mean i would put the likelihood of that happening at 10 or 20 percent but still it's 10 or 20 percent so absolutely that'd be a really you know. fun analysis to do i have no idea how to do it but like what are what are draft picks worth in the i might look into that i don't know how that's done if it's a calculation i think i can translate to our league it might be interesting to see what draft picks are worth yeah, it would definitely be very interesting because I know that uh, major league GMs think about that a lot and actually have some valuations of how they uh, structure contracts and offers based on the idea of what kind of draft pick that player will cost them right, right before it's all said and done. So, uh, so with that, let's move. Uh, actually, I guess I should do I, I should do the uh, the grading. Uh, similar to the situation before, I gave uh, uh, I gave Scott. Um, 
who I think is turning out to be a marvelous general manager before it's all said and done. I gave him a, just a C because, I mean, he, like you said, I think he got uh, about as good of a player that he could get with the very limited amount of money. Uh, he, he did great. Right. Yeah. yeah, I agree. That's fine. I, so I gave him a 50. Yeah. Agree. I think that's fine. I agree. So I'm going to abstain All right. in my Yellow Springs uh, conversation, but I ended up with two players, Alfredo Salazar, a uh, three-year deal with an opt-out after one and two team options for two and three years, uh, years two and three, a uh, total of, what, uh, $38 million between the three years, and uh, little Brian Sullivan uh, for $3 million and three point two as a team option. Uh, you guys talk about that. Stephen, like I've been running my mouth. Why don't you go first here? Okay, um, I I I love the Alfredo um, Salazar signing. Um, if he doesn't opt out, um, I think that's really great uh, to get him at, at twelve million. Um, you know, and the option to have him at twelve and then ten million for the next two years. Um, you know, he's a great clubhouse guy. He puts a lot of butts in the seats. Um, he can, you know, he can still pass in a corner outfield spot. Um, and he still hits the crap out of the ball. So, um, yeah, I, I like that signing. Uh, you know, and then uh, we're looking at uh, Brian Sullivan, who, um, <laughs> Ted, as you know, as we uh, as we said on the Johnson League podcast, here's another lo- former long beach surfer um but uh yeah you know he's he's fine he he didn't hit especially well for me but uh you know at three million for for a couple of years you know option on year two for somebody who can pick it at at second or third or second or short um yeah i uh i think that's fine yeah i i more or less agree with that ron i'm i'm guessing your plan is to slate sullivan in at um at second and then move McNeil back to first. I, or, yeah, McNeil is going to be a full-time first baseman without any question. And I think um, Sullivan I th- Sullivan can be a, a really, really good defender at, at second base. Um, kind of in the same way that you feel like you can really increase Brett Compton's value by playing him as a second baseman rather than a shortstop. Mm-hmm. I think you can do the same thing with Sullivan. Um, you know, he's been a marginal... He's been about an average second baseman or shortstop in his career but you know in the time that he's been used at second base he's been well above average um the he's not yeah. a great hitter there's he's gonna platoon and a half okay he's, he's he'll he'll hit uh he'll uh bob frazier will play second base against left-handed pitching sullivan will play second base um uh, half to three quarters time against right-handed pitching and frazier will play enough to not ruin his value okay yeah and i think that's i think that's fair you know i and you didn't spend a lot you spent i think the price on him is great you know as far as salazar goes i initially thought that 16 was kind of high but um i i don't know what to make of salivar salazar's last season um his ratings still look good they look really good and his overall line last season is pretty darn solid for a corner outfielder um I'm not a huge... What was his BABIP last year? So he had a pretty bad BABIP, BABIP year last year. And if that was random variance, oh, that's, he'll be great great for that price. Um, 
you worry a little bit that his internal BABIP rating decline is what caused that. And if that's the thing, then then I I don't think I'm as in love with the contract as Steven is. I think it's a, I think it's still fine. I don't think it's like super scary or bad or an overpay. I, I just think that there is it does have a chance of um, at worst making you buy a guy out, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> you know, like it's it's not a it's it's just I I I don't. I never like when I don't know what happened with a guy in a, in a previous season before a free agents deal. And then I don't know what happened with Salazar last year. It could be just variance or it could be decline. Um, yeah. I'm, I am not as in love with the contract as Steven is either, but I am more in love with that now <laughs> that my owner has given me an extra $12 million of budget to uh, buy out with if I need to at the end of the year. Right. Yep. That's, um, that's nice. So, yeah. I, um, I think he brings, I think he brings so much to the table that you can't just look at his, you know, his performance last year and, and, and judge the value on that, you know. And you know, if Yellow Springs make the makes the playoffs, he, he's a career one fifty five uh, WRC plus guy in the playoffs. So, you know. oh, really? I never noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think um, yeah. I, at the end of the day, the, there's also a recursive element to that, right? Because I just mentioned that uh, I'm happier now that my owner that that Bo Jordan has given me an extra chunk of money to play with. Uh, one of the reasons that he gave me an extra chunk of money is that Alfredo Salazar put a whole bunch of season tickets onto the register. Right. So yeah, right. I mean, um, he's paying for himself. Right. So he'll he'll pay for himself before it's all said and done. So I'm happy enough with that. But the main thing that I was unhappy with about my effort and why I've given myself just a 50 overall is there is a little risk with Salazar. And what I really wanted to come away with was a starting pitcher. Um, and so I did not get what I wanted <laughs> yeah. before it's all said and done. I, I thought you part of that like, is because I like a mid a good mid rotation arm, like just a nice, solid, dependable guy that can throw innings and put like a four to sub four ERA. Yeah. And it's too bad they all wanted to play in Long Beach. There you go. Well, actually, what it is is it's too bad that I was in Vegas doing writer stuff for the first week of free agency. <laughs> well. um, so uh, I will, I'll, I'll use that as my crutch for as long as I can possibly use it. Right. Three years down uh, the road, uh, like if you have a bad season, it was all that one off season. That's right. It's all that one year where I was not able to, where, where Long Beach took all of my pitchers. That's the problem. Okay, so there we've wrapped up the uh, Brick Heartland. Um, Ron and Stephen and I will be back to do the other divisions in another part of the series. Thanks for listening.